melatonin is actually a messenger a messenger of light uh, it doesn't it isn't released until it's dark so it's like the hormone of darkness but it actually carries light energy and light information which is stored during the daylight hours so it's really interesting it's actually really important that we get lots of bright daylight during the day and then we combine that with the absence of light at night and that's what makes really great sleep but we need like if you just had darkness you wouldn't sleep super well necessarily do you get that bright light during the day it's that contrast between the bright light and then the dark darkness that melatonin gets programmed by powerful light energy from full spectrum daylight and then when the darkness comes and the light goes away that melatonin comes out and it's the most important anti-cancer anti-aging antioxidant molecule for all of life is it time to upgrade your snacking game I know how challenging it can be to find snacks that are both delicious and nourishing. That's why I'm so glad that we found Paleo Valley Beef Sticks. They're made from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef. They're infused with organic spices and naturally fermented. They totally hit the mark when it comes to nourishment and they're amazing on-the-go snacks because they're high in protein. They help stabilize your blood sugar. They keep you fueled and going all day long. My kids love them. We keep them in the car. I keep them in their backpacks. You'll see them all over the place because I know that it's something that we can quickly grab to hit the mark when we need nourishment. So if you're looking to get your hands on some Paleo Valley beef sticks, you're going to need to head to paleovalley.com slash the health institute to get 15% off your first order. Don't miss out. You're going to love these snacks. They are so tasty and they're the highest quality in nutrition. Again, it's paleovalley.com slash the health institute to get 15% off your first order. Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. So excited to have with us Matt Maruka today. I really am so amazed at how somebody so young has so much, not only life experience, but has such a depth of knowledge in an area that probably hasn't had as much attention. And we talk a lot on the show about different biohacking tools and kind of the paleo movement, all of these different things that probably have relevance to our health and our well-being, but we've probably missed one of the biggest components when it comes to our health, especially longevity. And that's really what Matt has developed or really, you know, spent his life's work on his, his short life. But I'm telling you, this man is brilliant. He's brilliant. So we're so excited to have you on the show today. Also have Dr. Motley in the house and always love to co-host with you. So welcome guys. This is going to be fun. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Courtney. It's good to see Courtney. Courtney's just, you know, radiant with her leaves and such in the background, guys. And sure is, you know, I feel a little sterile. Um, You know what? I, I, okay. So I have to say after (laughs) digging into some of Matt's research and listening to other podcasts, you've got a ton of educational information out there and like so much of it probably goes over my head because it's like, it's so there's so much to unpack with like every few minutes that you speak like so intelligently to this level of light and its impact on our bodies. But as I was thinking about light, <laughs> I'm envisioning my body as a house plant. And then I was like, oh yeah, have you guys seen those memes where it's like, 
we're basically sophisticated house plants where we just need like all the sunlight to thrive. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. So anyway, we're already off on a weird tangent, but not far you. off actually. <laughs> but we're gonna but but on the podcast though, Matt, we're gonna make sure we have like little memes of each of us. So we, each of us are gonna have a plant on the, when this podcast airs. So we gotta figure out which right. plant we want to be. That's so. true. So you know what? You brought up the plants in the background and not to make me think of it. So that was my bad getting all distracted, but it is really great though, Matt. I do love your research though. And um, with the amount of information about light itself, and I know we're going to d- dig uh, deep into this. And when we talk about like visible light spectrum and light that's not even seen, I just think it's amazing about how much spectrums out there that we don't even see like, and the amount of information that can be carried in light. But Courtney, let's start it off. Let's get right down to the nitty gritty. Um, I just love all the things that you're doing right now. And so I know Courtney has her her questions. And we always go back and forth. So yeah, I like, yeah. it. like it's a little tender. Um, you guys want to go. I'm I'm totally cool. <laughs> Ask me anything, let's say. Maybe we'll start too with, you know, what it, what it is that really, when was the light bulb moment? Like the aha moment of, okay, the missing link is light. Or, or we're just, we're not realizing how big of an influence light is. Like it's kind of the cornerstone maybe, or the linchpin in a lot of ways, because we see people spending so much time and money on all of these other little variables in their life and they get marginally better. But your argument is that light has a lot more to offer than what, what really the credit that we're giving it. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as far as a specific, let's say light bulb moment, it's been more of a progression for me over the past decade. So since I was pretty much 13 years old, even younger, but I had a, a few different health challenges, gut issues, allergies, headaches, and uh, I just accepted all of that. But then when I got into school, I started having some, let's say, things like acne. And this particularly made me feel really uh, uncomfortable because when you're in high school and you want to look good, you know, something like acne can make you feel really self-aware, self-conscious. And so I actually started researching, you know, notwithstanding all the other health challenges I had, and they were pretty debilitating allergies, headaches, like it was not, not really fun, you know, constant gas and bloating and didn't know it was causing it, but I accepted that was all genetic. So when I was uh, 13, 14, I actually just felt that compulsion um, due to vanity to take this into my own hands and just start researching. And I came across the paleo diet as a way to improve skin health and how to, you know, healing a damaged gut. And I got really deep into, I did go really through the food world through uh, paleo, keto. I was doing the autoimmune paleo diet when I was 15, 14. I was doing the GAPS diet way before it was cool in 2014, 15, um, just because I was obsessed. But it was, it was very much from a place of like, if I don't figure this out, I'm going to be sick and die. So I was very much like, coming from an energy of survival, um, you know, not like die, but it was, it was kind of like that in the subconscious. And in all of those things had some benefit, but as you guys are probably maybe, maybe familiar with a lot of people in the space I know are, there's sort of like a, a level of um, orthorexia, like obsessiveness and th- that came along with this uh, dieting focus where I didn't, at a certain point, I wasn't coming from a place of like inspiration about being healthy. It was coming from fear. And I do believe in retrospect that I probably made myself a lot sicker by becoming so obsessive and so uh, judgmental toward myself about what I was eating. So anyhow, uh, eventually I learned about this field I had not heard about through a uh, sort of 
alternative uh, blogger who was talking about this stuff way before it was cool, uh, Dr. Jack Cruz. Maybe you're familiar with the name. But anyway, he was bringing this information out, and I, I came across it, and I thought, wow, this is fascinating. So I dove in. I started reading some of the books from the researchers he referenced and, you know, to really like, let's say, go to the source. And it just made a lot of sense. It made a lot of sense that biology, uh, you know, matter in and of itself has its own intelligence, but not the intelligence to organize a human being. So if you look at carbon, for example, or hydrogen or oxygen or water, like they all have as, as atoms, um, they have their own innate, let, let's say, intelligence for how to do what they do as a molecule. We could call that a form of, let's say, intelligence. But that's not sufficient to structure a human being. And so the question uh, that, that I started to come across, especially studying the work of a gentleman named Dr. Robert O. Becker, who wrote a great book called The Body Electric, how does this matter become organized into a human? And the, the question that, that really fascinated me is, you know, how does the cells in my, do the cells in my eye know to become eye cells, retinal cells, and so on, macular cells? How do the cells in my toes know to become toes? My kidneys and liver know how to become what they become, my, my scalp, my skull, my bones. How do all those cells know to become what they become, considering that they all have the exact same set of genetic information? They all have the exact same 23 chromosomes with the exact same genes. It's not like some have some genes and some have others. And then how do they know where to be where they are? You know, um, and maybe are the two connected? Maybe if a cell finds itself in a certain place, that's how it becomes what it is. And, and that is actually the case. So what Becker discovered is that we are, first, we're a field of energy and information. And second, we are material. So the matter organizes within a field. And this, this is why his book's called The Body Electric. And they discovered this because they wanted to understand how salamanders could regenerate entire limbs and how that could be applied potentially to humans. And even if you look at a human, even a human with a really severe wound, like a really deep flesh wound or really broken bones can regenerate to typically to where they were before. So the matter doesn't have that intelligence within it. it. It can't. There's an organizing energy field, let's say, that was discovered. And that made so much sense to me. And, and so the idea as far as it relates to nutrition and all the things I was trying before was essentially that if we eat food, the food itself, yes, it has some level of intelligence, but in and of itself to be what it is and to do what it does by itself but not necessarily to become part of a human. Like there's a guiding intelligence, let's say within us that organizes all that. And that's, let's say, electromagnetic light and light and energy base. And this sounds maybe a little bit woo woo for people who haven't studied the science. So I encourage people to check out Dr. Be Becker's work. But anyway, the take home here is that what it implied to me when I first learned about this was I could be eating these super perfect diets, super keto or paleo or whatever somebody thinks, if somebody thinks veganism is the best diet, whatever someone thinks their best ideal diet is, you could be eating that. But if the, the energy field that's responsible for organizing the, the matter and making it useful is disrupted, then we pretty much can't, we, we couldn't utilize the fuel properly. We could still be sick eating a great diet. And conversely, what I find really interesting is there's lots of people like through history and even recently, and even today, although fewer and fewer, who are robustly healthy regardless of what they eat. And they seem like anomalies. Like how can they just eat whatever and not gain weight or not have health issues while all these other people, myself included at one point, are eating perfectly and still struggling. And I, 
I've come to believe it has a lot more to do with effectively our, our energetic field and uh, how that's operating. And light is a key influence on how that field works. So that's how it became a subject of interest to me. And I've, I've, it's only progressed a lot since then. So I look forward to getting into more detail. Definitely. Um, I love the fact that with The Electric Body, because it's a great book, that when you refer to like the electric field, I like the um, the photographs are called curly and photos. You probably like in the book, yeah, they yeah. talk about how um, like a salamander gets their limb cut off and it follows a certain pattern because like in acupuncture, the whole idea is to try to restore basically bipolar electrical charges around a certain organ or through a certain muscle or help with lymph flow. And I thought it was really interesting when I was reading some research about how Whenever somebody was asking me, like, Doc, how can you uh, use an acupuncture point on the hand or do something of that sort with a needle? And it can affect a whole area that's away from the hand. And they were talking about how your cells have polaric charges, like your cells have basically north and south poles. And they say that yeah, the field, the, the polarity of a cell will follow the field, the pattern of a field, like, and they'll place one right after the other. And that's how you, you form as an embryo, like you're actually following these small patterns to make your hands the size they are, the shape they are. And I thought it was really, uh, really interesting because I guess basically, are you referring to that whenever something can change the field or change or shift your electric field, it can change the way your matter expresses itself? Yeah, absolutely. I, this is, I, I think this is the implication of, of the research. And I wish, uh, and I look forward actually in my lifetime to continuing this research, you know, par uh, part of what I'd like to do more and more with my business is eventually fund this kind of science. Total side note, but the, their their research was defunded because uh, Becker was working at the Veterans Administration and his protege, his student, Andrew Marino, is a PhD student in biophysics, originally was studying physics, not biology, who went and stuttered, studied under uh, Robert O. Becker. And mm. basically what Marino started to find was the effects of non-native, so unnatural electromagnetic fields on this delicate electrical system that his predecessor had discovered were pretty significant. So especially at the time, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have much. Uh, they had microwaves and they had high voltage transmission power lines. And what happened was Marino and Becker, you know, with, uh, with the support of his teacher, his, his uh, let's say, mentor, Marino began to challenge some of the, let's say, conventional wisdom about the safety of these high voltage transmission lines. They were building one line to bring electricity from Quebec uh, up from a big dam down to New York City. And they're, you know, using these laws just to build it over people's farms, kind of like eminent domain. And farmers were having issues with the uh, laying patterns of their chickens and the milk uh, production of their cows. And even some would touch uh, like an electrical roof that the power lines went over and one got shocked and, and injured. So anyway, Marino went as a sort of scientific witness for these individuals. And this was not a really favorable subject because the powers that be were, you know, in, interested in progress, let's say, of, mm -hmm. of these different projects. And so they got a lot of uh, press attention, but ultimately it led to more and more attention. And when they started studying radar, uh, which, you know, were, they were in the depth of the Cold War at the time. And the Navy had a particular interest in radar being accepted as safe and usable because they have lots of service members using it all the time. And mm -hmm. if they found out, you know, if the science got to light, which was what, what was researched was that radar and these non-native electromagnetic fields could cause uh, cataracts and cancer specifically, if that was kind of brought to light, 
then that would be an issue for the Navy. And they even uh, basically contracted a team. And this is all well documented in, in Becker's book, The Body Electric, and Marino's book, especially um, Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science. They brought together a team of scientists to kind of evaluate this, and they all unanimously agreed it needed further study, and then they classified it all and kind of put it aside. They even gave a researcher a huge five-year contract to study on all kinds of different animals, these, these uh, fields, the effects of these external fields, and the results were not so good, so they shut it down after a couple of years. And uh, anyway, they eventually defunded the lab. So the research there didn't really continue. I imagine there are some people who, who maybe I haven't even heard of who have continued some of this research, but given its potential, I think it's, uh, it's really important. So I'm with you. <laughs> Cordy, not trying to inter interject, but I would say it's so interesting to me. So when they get defunded with Becker's book, are there more, I mean, of course you're doing this and you're going to have with your company and, and such and your business, but are, do you see that there's more research now trying to go into the path of electric medicine or light therapy and such. I know we see that with ultra infrared and such, but is there heavy research to try to make it more of a mainstream type of health procedure? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, there are, there is a lot of focus on these PEMF, -E pulse EMF devices, mm -hmm. uh, which yeah. I do. So this is interesting. However, given what Becker discovered at the time, usually the PEMF, I'm pretty skeptical of it personally, because uh, not to say that it can't be effective, but it, it surely could be if it was done properly. But a lot of the time, people are just mixing up all sorts of different, let's say, algorithms and just saying like, yeah, this is going to help people. And there's like a lot of hype behind it, but not a lot of clear science and mechanisms. You know, I'm pretty open to a lot of different things that don't have clear science per se, like ancient, especially things that are more ancient and time tested for thousands of years. But when it comes to like modern devices that claim to be scientific, but then don't have a really solid foundation. That's where I, I get a little skeptical. But anyway, um, in that direction, there is progress. And then also in light and light therapy, there is, there is progress occurring. Uh, and I, I think it'll continue. You know, it's just, as you guys know very well, there's the sort of evidence-based medicine, which is, a, I, I, it's not even a joke. I, I was going to say a joke, but it's the truth. It's a euphemism for uh, big pharma approved and funded medicine. That's not evidence-based medicine. It's just when this is a whole nother tangent, but worth sharing. Uh, when apparently when Rockefeller wanted to take control of the medical establishment using petroleum-based chemical drugs, which is what, what they did, he hired a guy named Abraham Flexner, uh, who wasn't even really an, a scientist to produce this report basically to Congress saying that all these other forms of treatment, you know, heliotherapy, acupuncture, Reiki, whatever else, you know, all this uh, homeopathy, you name it. It's all not evidence-based. It's all kind of, uh, if they can't have a, you know, double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical trial, then it's it's all BS, basically. It's pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. That's the term. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting that that's like evidence-based medicine. It just means if you have the cash, if you're a pharmaceutical company, you can fund a $100 million, $50 million study, then your drug will be used even if it's toxic. And if you can't, well, sorry. They, they said um, in the early 1900s, like 1910, 1915, they were shown some of the scientists and researchers and doctors who did really good research with electric medicine. And they basically, I'd say like certain associations basically deemed them as being cuckoo or wacky because then they were saying they were actually helping people with electric medicine using small amounts of you know shock therapy, microcurrent, 
And then they were saying, no, they're actually hurting people. And, and it shifted all from there to chemistry. You know, biochemistry is now the way yeah. to make sure that you get better instead of electric medicine. So you, you start to see like, even in realms now where if we want to use like a TENS unit, some of the individuals that use different types of Medicare or different type of insurance, it's still not necessarily FDA approved because it has that stigma on it about, oh, you're using a microcurrent or a stem unit to actually fix something instead of uh, pharmaceuticals, which is, to me, is still alarming that you would think that with research behind it, basically electricity, that there is evidence that it can actually be beneficial that they're saying, oh, we don't know just yet. But I want to read more of this book because people out there need to read The Body Electric. And we're going to get a little list of books from you in this in a few in here in a bit. So people yeah. can just start researching this, though, too. Yeah. And if I may, just one thing to that is Becker outlines really nicely in his book that there was this kind of, let's say, battle for hundreds of years between what they call the mechanists, the people who believe more in the biochemical materialist type of view of life, and mm -hmm. then the vitalists, the vitalists as opposed to the mechanists, believe that there was sort of a vital spark and energy behind life. But the thing was, there was no instrumentation at the time that you could really measure that with. You know, chemistry was a little easier to measure because matter is the slowest form of energy that our senses can perceive. And therefore, it's easier to measure when you have primitive instrumentation. Thankfully, the instrumentation has evolved, but the consciousness of the mainstream is catching up. So anyway. You know, what's the saying? Like, you never want to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> like, that has come to in a real actualization. I'm just listening to you guys and I'm like, okay, this is, this is like, you know, deep conversation. So I love this where it's going though. And I want to kind of, I would love to close the loop on your, your story really, because you talked about in the beginning I mean, I can't even believe how young you were, like 12, 13 years old, and you're starting to experience these symptoms. And you really went on this personal quest to try and find answers. And you did what a lot of people do, which is, okay, what are the things that I can control? I can control what, what I'm eating, you know, what I'm consuming, what I'm buying, what I'm putting on my body. And so you started moving all of those different toggles. When was it that light came into the picture? How did that play a role in your healing journey? And what is it that we should know about that, that our general audience of people like might be missing out on? Or maybe it's something that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis when it comes to light exposure, blue light exposure, devices, scrolling, all of these different things that are ultimately playing a major role in the poor health outcomes, even with obesity. Like I think I saw you on another interview. So this is like five questions rolled into one, but where we talked about, <laughs> yeah, you talked about this link to mitochondrial health, energy production and obesity and light. And I'm like, okay, this is crazy. Like, because the sun, I mean, I'm looking out the window, like there's natural sunlight, like what, how are we possibly missing something that is so accessible to everybody for the most part, unless mm -hmm. you live in a really, a really dark, cold place. And that's like my worst fear in life is to be trapped somewhere where it's like dark and rainy. Yeah. I that's okay. I'm just where I am right now. Actually, it's funny, but I, I, I enjoy it. I try to bring light with me everywhere I go. So, which we can touch on in a second later, but, um, as far as my journey, when I learned about light, I thought this is uh, pretty cool stuff. This is something that can really impact me in a, in a good way. And it's much deeper. You know, the, the classic example that's worth sharing always is the, the example of the car engine. So our bodies work a lot like a car. So our, all of our cells have a, these cellular engines. Actually, every human cell, we have like 50 to 100 trillion cells, they estimate. And 
Each cell has approximately a thousand uh, mitochondria, which are our cellular engines or motors. And in a car, you have the engine as well. And you only have one typically, but um, they work very similarly. So they're both combustion engines. So internally, our mitochondria uh, carry out the process of combustion. It's called oxidative phosphorylation or mitochondrial respiration. But basically, it's the same process as fire, where in fire, you're taking a hydrogen-based fuel source, and this is the same in a car engine. So fire is a log or wood or leaves. It's hydrogen-based fuel source. The plant, this is interesting, we'll tie it all together, but so the plant basically absorbs sunlight energy and the sunlight energy splits water. So H2 and O separate, and then you have hydrogen and oxygen now separated. Now the plant inhales carbon dioxide and breaks that apart and attaches the hydrogens to the carbon dioxide and makes sugar. So C6, carbon six, hydrogen 12, H12, O6 mm-hmm. uh, is sugar. So that's sugar. And then plants eat that and ter- store it as their fat so we can keep that there. So, but ultimately that energy comes from sunlight and it's stored in the excited electrons of hydrogen. So then when you have a fire, you basically uh, add a spark that frees off some of those hydrogens and then they react, they bond with oxygen that's free in the air and they make water again. And then that releases energy. And then that energy is the spark for the next ones to break off and react with oxygen. And that's why fires spread really well. Cause once you have a spark to overcome the activation energy, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy basically. So it keeps going. Now that's how fires work. So like with a log now in a car, it's the same. It's just fossil fuels. So like really, really kind of, let's say refined energy. That's really easy to burn. Uh, like one spark will light up the whole thing. Uh, you know, when you have gasoline and that's old fossil fuels, like of, of old animals that died long, long ago and, and plants and all that stuff. And, but that all came from the sun too. It's just a lot older. And that's actually pretty interesting. I think when you're running a car, you're basically moving a modern machine based on mm-hmm. sunlight that was stored millions of years ago. It's pretty cool if you think about it. But anyway, so then in our cells, it's actually the same. So we consume hydrogen-based fuel. So all food is hydrogen-based fuel, fat and carbohydrates. Proteins are a little bit different. They're more structural, although you could break them down for to, to be sugar, but it's really inefficient use of, of protein. Uh, but anyway, so we take in this fuel, uh, we breathe in oxygen and tell me if I'm getting too deep, but I think, I think we got Love this it. pretty understandable. Look at my face. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, so we take in a hydrogen based fuel in the form of food and we breathe in oxygen, which the tree exhaled when it made the sugar. So that was because it broke the H and the O apart and it breathed out the O, the oxygen. So we breathe just like that fire I was describing. We use energy like a spark. And this is the process of the Krebs cycle. And this is all biochemistry stuff. So any biochemistry person would easily understand. So we basically input some energy, break apart the sugar molecule, take the hydrogens off and put them on a carrier molecule called NAD plus or NADH. And then basically the NADH feeds the hydrogen, specifically the, the hydrogen and its electrons into the mitochondria. The hydrogen ions fuse through the inner mitochondrial membrane. They go inside to what's called the matrix. This is the best understanding of, of modern biochemistry. I don't know if it's exactly like this because I haven't been a mitochondria, at least that I <laughs> seen one, but like this is what, this is the current understanding of how it works. So basically, I just have to disclose that because it could always change, but this is it. So basically those electrons from that hydrogen, which were excited by the sun are now being sucked by oxygen. So oxygen, the reason it causes oxidation, it causes things to rust, for example, is because it's really unstable, actually. Oxygen, it's very, it's very, uh, 
how can we say, it's very volatile. So it wants to suck electrons, steal electrons from things, which mm-hmm. is a problem for, for, you know, chemical structures. But we utilize that strong pull electronegativity, it's called. So it's very, it's, it's very negative, but in a, in a good way for us. So it's, it pulls that energy towards it, that those electrons. And so what we basically do is we say, not so fast electrons, we're going to suck off all the energy we can from you before you get back to oxygen. And then finally, the electrons get to oxygen, the hydrogen binds with the oxygen, and it makes water. So our entire metabolism is the same as fire, effectively, making water and releasing the energy that was stored uh, in, in the hydrogen electrons from sunlight. Now, why am I sharing all of this? Because we're, we're doing the process of combustion internally in our mitochondria. So the way that this connects back to light is that we could do this, like you could do this uh, in a, in a, in the absence of light, it could be done. Like somebody could, for example, live in a total dark state all the time, but they would pretty much succumb to a lot of health issues. So for example, think about like back in the day when a king or a queen wanted to basically render one of their political opponents ineffective. They would throw them in a dungeon underground in a dark, dingy room with this much light, if that, a little hole. And over time, they actually would sort of rot like you rot away, your vital energy basically depletes. And that's really well known. Even uh, the famous uh, nurse and Florence Nightingale, she, I believe I have the name right. Anyway, she observed in her clinics that basically the patients in dark wards would not heal. So you had to be in places with like more fresh air and light, and that would change the outcomes. So it's already been known through history. And then we could talk all day about, you know, how the Romans had solariums to sunbathe and the Egyptians knew about the benefits of light and all this stuff. Uh, and how, you know, there was a battle in between the Egyptians and the Persians and the Persians wore these felted hats and the Egyptians shaved their heads to worship the sun and, you know, to get the light. And this Greek historian Her- Herodotus was on one of these uh, battlefields and looking at the skulls and the skulls of the Egyptians, you literally couldn't even crack at all. But with the, the Persians, you could just tap them with a stone and they would crack. And he attributed mm-hmm. this time probably to the different practices as far as sun exposure. And it makes sense when you look at the mechanisms of vitamin D, sunlight, ca- putting calcium into the bones, strengthening the bones. Anyway, so... So they already knew this stuff. Now, the science has kind of, let's say, caught up to this ancient knowledge where the reason I bring up the car analogy is if you have an engine of a car and you've used it for a long time, it's worn down. Over time, you might find that the spark plugs are worn down. So the spark plugs or the ignition system is what's required in the car engine to actually burn through that fuel effectively. So it's not like you just put gas into a car and the car just runs. There's more to it. It's not like we just intake food and it just magically works. Like people, the whole thing about the food community that there's nothing wrong with the the folks on food. It's, It's actually very important, but people aren't necessarily asking the question like, well, wait a minute, how is my food being processed? And how can I maybe optimize that process? So the ignition system in a car, there's these spark plugs that basically fire in unison and, and cause the explosions to occur, which basically move the car. Now, if a spark plug gets worn out, it needs to be replaced. But for example, if you didn't know about the ignition system of the car, and this is parallel to not knowing about how light works in our cells, you could have start sort of worn down spark plugs and your car would be not working. It might be blowing black smoke. It might not be accelerating properly. You know, there's misfiring going on. And you might say, shoot, well, 
I got to upgrade from regular gas to premium or plus. And they say, oh, the plus isn't working. I got to go premium. And they say, premium's not working. I got to add fuel additives and all this stuff. And then all the while, you finally go to the mechanic and it's like, it actually, it wasn't the fuel at all. It was just the ignition system was broken. So you need to fix the ignition system. And then you could pretty much be fine on regular fuel too. You could do premium if you want to keep it going better longer. But I would say that's a really fair analogy about how our body uses food because effectively a lot, I believe now the majority of the health issues people have are related to issues in let's call their ignition system, their metabolic function, their mitochondrial function. And the research supports this thoroughly. And I'll, I'll explain a little more about that in a moment you know, you guys might want to break this down, but basically that's a pretty profound finding to, to realize like people aren't asking about how, how well is our ignition system working? So you go to the mechanic finally and the, and the mechanic says, yeah, you just had to replace the spark plugs. And, and that was actually what you had to fix. And in a similar way in our body, we go and connect more with natural lighting, full spectrum sunlight, and it improves. There's other facets to this. It gets, it's much more complicated in, in, a, in a person. There's more than just actually sunlight influencing this. Uh, our psychological state has a, plays a huge role. But anyway, it's pretty significant because what it means too is somebody could be eating a perfect diet, but still have health issues, but they could have a really functional metabolic system and not eat a perfect diet, but still be healthier than the person eating the perfect diet because there's more layers to health than just the fuel that's going in. We have to look at how well the ignition system, the engines are functioning. So that's the gist of it. Thank you for letting me go on into this. <laughs> now, that's a great point with it. You and Courtney put in about like, you know, Florence Nightingale, somebody's in a dark room or in a place where they can't get light. Is there a, a normal amount of light that a person needs a day that shows, you know, that turns on their mitochondria? And is there certain parts of the day they need more light to get the more efficient output of energy from the mitochondria? As far as like a specific amount, it, it's pretty impossible to give a number because like we have certain, there's people whose skin is designed like pretty much the three of us whose skin is designed to absorb as much light as possible in low light conditions and eyes. Uh, and then there are people whose bodies are designed to protect them from extremely high amounts of ultraviolet light that would kill me if I had to live in them all the time, like in sub-Saharan Africa and this kind of thing. So no, it's not really possible to share a specific amount, but I would say just like with a lot of the, the really uh, you know, positive points within the, the health and wellness world, the ancestral world is that let's, let's look at what our ancestors were doing. You know, we just naturally spent a pretty significant amount of time outdoors uh, throughout the day, like, you know, you could go into a cave to sleep, but if you're out during the day, you pretty much had just the, the daylight, whether it was a cloudy, rainy day, even on a cloudy, rainy day, the interesting thing is there's still a good amount of light. And again, a lot of people in Northern Europe in particular, where it's one of the cloudiest and rainiest and darkest places with the least sun in the winter of, of anywhere in the world that humans inhabited, people developed adaptations to allow us to get more light. So chief scientific officer at my company who we work with, uh, Dr. Alexander Wunsch, he's a leading photobiologist. And I also suggested to Courtney earlier, he would make an amazing podcast guest. He's been on many of the top, you know, those top podcasts in the health and wellness world. Uh, but anyhow, he told me that from his decades and decades of, of research into this, uh, he's like, to me, one of the living greats, you know, many of the contemporaries of this field have passed away, let's say. So we, we're as a team trying to bring on this, you know, carry this information forward. But effectively, he said two hours per day of unfiltered daylight would be a sort of minimum. Uh, mm -hmm. That doesn't mean two hours sunbathing, of course, just, just two hours, whether it's a walk, whether it's even next to an open window. The issue mm -hmm. is that, so 
Courtney, you had a couple other questions wrapped up into there. Like, where do we go wrong? So like walls are one, um, windows are two, clothes, you could say are three. So clothes, windows, walls, uh, because these are just the disconnection from the energy that's our, our sort of one of our life source uh, energy, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, forces that gives us a lot of energy. Uh, I used to think light, like sunlight was the only, let's say, critical frequency that we absorb from nature. I've since learned that there's a lot more. Um, there's, you know, the Earth's Schumann resonance that resonates at the same frequency as our alpha wave, or I should say our brain's alpha wave resonates at the same frequency as the Earth's. They call it the heartbeat of the Earth in the more esoteric communities, but it's measured. It's very scientifically uh, validated, this this resonance or this frequency that exists between the Earth's ionosphere and this. There's energy, there's free energy, uh, electrons, just because of the mass of the Earth, it's gigantic mass uh, and Mm -hmm. certain interactions of the atmosphere and the surface. There's free, an ejection of free electrons, like 100 volts per meter, approximately 150, just coming off the Earth. So we can benefit from that. So people talk a lot about grounding, which- Grounding, yeah. You don't even have to go barefoot, although it's it's much stronger if you do, but the, the energy just comes up through us. That's a whole nother, you know, we could get into that also later. So the point is that when we have windows, they filter out the near infrared light typically and the modern energy efficient windows, you know, in most uh, skyscrapers and most buildings and houses and everything today, they're, they're designed to let in less near infrared light, infrared light in general, because it's, it's heating. And so it basically heats things. And so if you have more of that, you need to use more AC in the summer and that's against the, the green uh, thing. And so basically you, yeah, you have to have this windows, but then in the, in the end we're hurting or killing ourselves. So it's like, we're trying to save the planet, but we're killing ourselves in some way. It's kind of like a bit interesting what's going on, but, but anyway, that's an issue. So we want to allow in that full spectrum. So opening a window is a great thing to do. Sunglasses. I'm not like saying no one should ever wear sunglasses, but there's a lot of evidence, especially on bright, sunny summer days when people are most inclined to wear sunglasses. They do two, a few things, but one is that they they make it so that the eye can't adapt properly to sunlight. So like if you've ever looked at, there's, there's another great book about light. So we've shared the body electric. Uh, there's another great book called Light Shaping Life, Biophotons in Biology and Medicine. And it talks about biophotons, which is another form of electromagnetism or energy uh, light energy in our cells. Our cells communicate with these biophotons. Our cells generate their own light for communication, for the processes of cell division and all this other stuff. It's kind of cool. It's very cool. So that's one one book. And actually, that's not the right book that I was going to refer to. The one I'm, I want to refer to is called The Influence of Ocular Light Perception on Metabolism in Man and Animal. Or you could just search The Influence of Ocular Light Perception and it'll come up. But anyway, they show a picture of a chameleon who, you know, chameleons, they adjust their color based on the conditions they're in. And they put the chameleon on like a, a, I believe it's a black, or I should say a white background up to, up to their eyes, but their eyes are like this, they're looking that way. So they put it up to here on black, but it doesn't turn black. And this part's white. No, I'm sorry. They put it on white up to its eyes. And then they put black here where its eyes are sensing. And the whole thing turns the color of what its eyes are seeing white on no, no, mm-hmm. black on the white background. So it's not like their skin is sensing it. Specifically, their eyes are the sensor. The reason I share this is because it's the same with us. Our eyes are sensing the environmental conditions in the summer when it's really sunny to make more melanin in our skin. So UVB light on the eye, ultraviolet B, which they say causes all these problems, which isn't fully the truth. Excess exposure can be, 
But anyway, that's the stimulus for the brain to make more alpha MSH, alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone, which makes more melanocytes in our skin, which protects us from sun. So sunglasses, they say protecting us could actually be causing skin cancer by disabling the body's own innate protection system. And so there's a lot of things that we're kind of missing. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. It, it's a, it's one of those uh, the oxymorons in our health field today. It's like, you mean after all those years <laughs> yeah, of getting right. that UV protecting sunglasses, now I've got skin spots all over me. Um, go ahead, Courtney. Sorry. It's crazy. I, I'm like, okay, the window thing is also, because I'm like looking at the window. It makes total sense saying that, filtering out infrared and stuff like that. But I'm always like, Oh, at least like I'm inside, I'm working, like I've got all this natural light kind of pouring in, but it's not the same. So that's, that's really an interesting thing to, to realize, but sunglasses too. I mean, we, we fight the sun. We've been fighting the sun forever. And we actually had, um, Dr. Mike Bilkowski on, uh, not too long ago. And he was talking about sunglasses too. And just like how we're always like the sun is demonized in so many ways. It's like, put sunscreen on and cover up your eyes and wear a hat and stay in the shade and like all this stuff. And it's like the the sun is the enemy. The sun creates the burns. Like the melanin piece that you just talked about is like mind blowing to me. I'm like, okay, it's the eyes interpreting, telling the body to produce the melanin. That, you know, it's just like nature and the way that our bodies are designed is just so sophisticated. The more you learn about it, you're. I'm just, I'm continually so impressed with just how God has just created us because it's Amen. everything is made for a specific reason. And like, yet we create all these like shortcuts thinking, oh, we're going to help ourselves. When in the end, like we're short circuiting the very design that is made, you know, as a protective mechanism to help us live a longer life. So this is just, yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, so people always ask like, well, how much sun should I get this and that? It's like, start in the spring. It's spring now. Great timing. I hope this comes out kind of soon start building up exposure. I say usually like three to five minutes per day and add like one to two minutes per day on each side of the body uh, Mm -hmm. or two to three minutes on each side of the body and then add one to two minutes per day. And regardless of someone's skin type, but if someone has darker skin, they can do more uh, because their bodies are designed to absorb more light. Uh, So it's, you know, they can handle more. If someone's really tan, they can handle more, even if they have a lighter skin type, let's say uh, genetically. So there's a lot that people can do, but the biggest thing, like, for example, with sunglasses, the other thing is that uh, the body, the, 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 one of the reactions to get out of the sun, so separate even from the, the melanin production, like just the reaction to get out of the sun when it's too bright or you've had too much is the intensity on the eye. And so people are just like, uh, like, I'm just going to stay out and I'm just going to get rid of that discomfortable, discomfort, uh, signal, this uncomfortable signal. And I'm just going to put on these sunglasses and then just do go about my day. And so, yeah, I mean, I've got, I get sunburned uh, a little too often still. Cause I sort of, I love to like, let's say get out in the sun. I've actually been much better. When I first got into this, I was like, crazy. I was just like all in. I thought it was like more is better. And I've also learned that more isn't better, you know? So that's another thing. Like it's, it's important to get healthy amount of sun. So for me in the summer and, or if I'm in like Bali or Costa Rica, places I like to spend time where it's equatorial, where it's way stronger than I would have evolved. I could maybe spend like maximum uh, in the middle of the day, like 10 to 15 minutes sunbathing on each side of my body. And this is after mm-hmm. I built up a tan, but usually I focus on mid morning and late afternoon sun when it's more warm. Uh, it's a less, less cold, meaning less blue light and ultraviolet and high intensity light. So there's still enough of that around like say eight, 9am or three, four, 5pm. 
but uh, not let's say toxic amounts for for my particular skin tone, especially. And so, yeah, I, I could you know spend like 20, 30 minutes in the sun at those times, maybe more on each side of me, you know, and I go surfing. And then when I surf, I'll wear like a, a sunscreen. But the issue with most sunscreen is they're chemical based and the chemicals get uh, basically degraded by the ultraviolet light. And then they're unstable, kind of like we were talking about oxygen before. And they go into the cells and create, they steal electrons, they create problems. This is where like a lot of uh, metabolic issues happen. It's the same, same, similar to what free radicals do, like reactive oxygen mm -hmm. species goes around our cells and creates havoc. So these chemicals from sunscreen, they become degraded and broken apart by ultraviolet light. Now they're ready to steal electrons from things and they're absorbing into our bloodstream. Like where's all that white cream going? It's absorbing into the blood through the skin after being degraded by the sun. So I use uh, what's called mineral sunscreen, which is very common. You'll see surfers and lifeguards using it. It's a kind that doesn't absorb into your bloodstream. So from a vanity perspective, no one wants to use it, but you just put it on and you have to wipe it off when it's gone. Or you could use a hat or a shirt. These are all great ways to have natural sunscreen. But yeah, the reason I'm getting into this is because a common question is like, well, what do I do? It's like, I just we just gave some simple tips of what people can do and really applicable tips of getting out. Now, I would love just, let's say... Another really important thing, Courtney, to your question of like, where's a, something that people can go wrong with is artificial light. So we invented artificial light bulbs, uh, largely for the purpose of extending working hours. That was one of the important things. And it's, it's interesting to consider because biologically we're powered by the light and we're designed to be powered by the light. So our, our cellular energy production, which is, as I'm, we were talking about earlier, I didn't get into the exact mechanism of, of the analogy of how we're like, uh, the sun's like our ignition system and our mitochondria, but specifically near infrared, red and near infrared light. Uh, and this is why there's so much craze around red light therapy. It really does work if it's done properly. Those red and near infrared wavelengths from the sun basically power our cellular engines to work better. And there's red and near infrared light, even when it's a cloudy gray day, there's still some of that light coming through, not as much as a summer day, of course, but mm -hmm. still a, a good amount to power our biology. And there's other effects of the light too, like setting our circadian rhythm and all this stuff as well, and, and many more. But anyway, when we created artificial lights, we basically came up with a way to stimulate our brain for people to stay awake working at a factory, for example. Mm -hmm but without having the full power of the sun. So it's like, the, it's really the, the, the sort of definition of burning the candle at both ends. Like you're, you're kind of forcing your biology with a, with a light stimulus to stay awake in the brain, but without the, the full cellular power that's offered by sunlight. And it's only gotten much worse because at least the original incandescent lamps emitted quite a bit of near infrared light and a lot less blue. Uh, but now that we've switched to blue enriched LEDs and before them, the fluorescence and so on, it's gotten uh, much worse. So we have like more of the blue light stimulus and blue light isn't necessarily bad, just at the wrong times, it can create a lot of disruption. So blue light in the morning, especially from the sun can be really beneficial because it sets our circadian rhythm and gets all of our hormones and everything cranking in the right rhythm and proportions. Uh, but then conversely, if we have blue light at night, it can, it, it disrupts, it's shown in lots of science to disrupt our body's production of melatonin, which is one byproduct of disrupting the circadian rhythm, which I was just on the phone with a, one of the top epigenetic researchers in the entire world two days ago, I believe. And he was showing me some really interesting, like advanced data of, of some stuff they're studying 
they're studying specifically the effects of meditation. Uh, they're studying the community of Dr. Joe Dispenza, actually. It's really fascinating who I'm a good friend and I'm a big fan of, of what he's doing. But anyway, um, they're studying that community, the, the community for the effects of meditation. But anyway, one of the things they're looking at is, is the epigenetic effects of meditation. And they're looking at mitochondria. Anyway, where was I going with this? Oh, yes, circadian rhythms. So circadian biology, he was saying that every single gene that they looked at that's related to aging and cells is a circadian gene. So they've, they've done huge amounts of study on all the kinds of differences between animals that age rapidly and those that don't. And the, the genes that have the most, let's say, changes between an aged and a not aged animal are those that are they're typically all circadian. So it's fascinating, like circadian rhythms. People have talked about this for years, but circadian rhythms and this stuff is just beginning to be understood to your question earlier about where's the research going in this field. And it seems like rhythms, all kinds of rhythm, rhythm, uh, biological rhythms, but circadian rhythms in particular are huge. So big deal here. So like to answer, like when you say like to uh, with Courtney and you talking about circadian rhythm, it is important that individuals out there study and learn like through your research, like what's a good, you know, a good time to shut off your iPad, shut off this and make sure that you get the right proper blue light that's coming from the sun in the morning. And so you'd like, you try to utilize light therapy at specific times of day. Um, what happens like if somebody is in an office, Matt, like what, what happens if they're like, literally I'm in a cubby, I can't go outside all day. I would like to have some form of, you know, we talk about artificial light. Is there an artificial light therapy or something like a box you could put on you recommend like, you know, like the chameleon with the eyes, you know, maybe it's something that sort of just shines on their face. I don't know if that's the yeah, way yeah. to say it. You know, like there that. are, there are actually things where we're working on some light therapy devices. Uh, there are not many products right now that I'm a huge fan of uh, that really have a massive effect. One I would plug is called Sauna Space. It's a pretty cool company that makes a near-infrared light therapy bulb. Uh, my friend Brian Richards runs that business, but it, it is phenomenal. And it's based on the really very old idea of incandescent lamp therapy. But uh, anyway, one of the main things people can do, so that near-infrared therapy actually adds back uh, near-infrared light, which is what's missing. But then the other thing that's really important is to block blue light. And that's one of the reasons we make blue light protection glasses. So I started my company, Raw Optics, along this journey to because I wanted to do something uh, that would, one, that would enable me to continue my own research and exploration in the space. And two, of course, that aligned with what I was learning that I was passionate about that you know wouldn't feel like a, a chore or a burden and it would, yeah, allow me to keep doing what I wanted to do and then help people along the way. And with all the things I had studied up to that point. And so we decided to make blue light, I decided specifically to make blue light protection glasses that were actually effective and stylish. So no other company at the time in 20, this was 2017, was making blue blocking glasses that both blocked the right wavelengths and looked great. Blue light glasses that are commonly sold now through almost every optician, you can get a blue light coating. They have these clearish lenses with sometimes a flashy blue coating. These don't actually block the full spectrum uh, of blue light that's damaging. So it's sort of like a big gimmick. And I can show that with my uh, spectral color meter that I have. I don't actually have one of those lenses I should for demonstration purposes, but I actually have a light meter here. So I'll get it going and I'll show you guys in a second what I mean. But basically, uh, these lenses are a bit of a gimmick. So they had some stylish versions, but the ones that don't block the right light. Then they had these safety goggles you might remember from the biohacking community back in the day, these like U, these UVEX goggles. They were cheap. That was the benefit, but they were safety goggles. So 
I didn't want to wear them when I was in high school. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to come up with something that looked cool and block the right wavelengths that was based on science. And so I went and worked with the top experts in the field at the time, and we still do, as I mentioned, uh, you know, working with the, the best people in the world actually to develop and make things better and also work on some really advanced uh, lighting and light therapy devices as well and, and lighting in general. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, those are two things people can do is add back some near infrared light with something like a sauna space. We're working on some really cool red light therapy panels, which uh, as far as, the, the one of the issues with the near infrared lights is they're very hot. They put off a lot of heat, and so for some people, it could be not optimal. Let's say, but um, we're going to have some panels that don't have that, but that have the optimal spectrum of all the red and infrared wavelengths that no other red light therapy devices have today. So that's exciting. Can't give exactly a timeline on that, but that's coming along. And uh, and then there's a lot more to follow there. Anyway, that's one thing people do. And then blocking blue light. And then we, we're talking about during the daytime, this is critical because people might say, well, why would you want to block blue light during the day? Don't you need to stay awake? The issue is when you don't have the near infrared light, what's been studied pretty in, in detail and in quite a bit of detail is that blue light without the near infrared light, which offers a more healing, beneficial metabolic function, the blue light isn't innately bad, but when you don't have that near infrared light, which is always present, it, it actually makes about 42% of sunlight. So it's a huge component. It's like almost as much as all the other wavelengths of light combined, when we don't have that, the blue light becomes much more uh, damaging essentially and causes cell degradation, cell death, uh, issues in the mitochondria, increased reactive oxygen species production. And that's an issue, the red, that the red and near infrared light balances out. Um, so it's again, not that blue's bad, but it needs to be balanced. But one thing we can do during the day, even to protect our retinal health and our eyes is block that blue light, which is what our daylight lenses actually do. And then at night, it's a whole different conversation. But if you, I don't know if you maybe want to break down a little bit more of this daytime stuff first. That's this is great. I love this conversation. And I also really love that you brought up some of the, the blue light glasses or what they claim to be, you know, blue light blocking glasses that I'm sure people are buying on Amazon or wherever. And it's like, okay, they're $6.99. They like look cool because they're clear at least. So they just look like regular glasses. Because I mean, to be honest, they're not working. And if they're not working, like it's completely like, what's the point, you know? And I, it, my kids have even, they're like, oh, I want to get some, which this is actually really interesting. You do have a kid's line and I can vouch for their glasses. They are, they actually look really cute. And I was wondering, I was like, did a man really come up with a design for this? <laughs> or was there somebody else that helped? Because they look really good for blue light glasses. I mean, they really do. lost his on a plane. So he's the only I, 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 conversation that doesn't have some on. <laughs> no, totally. Okay. So one of my friends though, when I was going over to do the interview, Matt, I was like pretty excited because one of my patients who does, he's like a researcher, like, and so he knew I lost my glasses. This is a while back. And I was like, well, I've been trying to like find some, you know, near ones. And he definitely, he showed me your company. And then it showed me like the linen type glasses, like I'm getting those. Oh, so nice. I haven't saved the, the rounds. And I was like, I'm saving those. Like, cause I always, I always say this, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like thrifty in my own thing. I'm like, okay, I'm saving up. Like, and I say it as like, okay, my gift to myself at the end of this month is to get me two pairs of those, you oh, know? And so I, I saw it was like, man, at least they're, they're super stylish too. I mean, I yeah, like that. Yeah. That was the goal, you know, make them super functional. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of simple, but I, I genuinely thought like, well, no one should have to trade their health, their fashion for health and vice versa. Like you shouldn't have to do that. So yeah. Yeah. It just made sense to me. Like, let's make, I mean, seriously, like I was in high school, the you know, vanity was still a thing, 
uh, you know, it's just a kind of, kind of challenge and one of the things in life. And it's like, well, like I want these to look good, you know, like this should be cool. And I don't even think about it when I walk down the street, people are like, oh, I'm not sure about wearing these red lenses in public. I'm like, that was an issue when I was 15, like, get over it. Just wear the glasses, <laughs> look cool. And by the way, people compliment you all the time when you wear them. Like people are literally just like loving it all the time. Like, dude, your glasses are cool. It's like, it's like a reason for someone to come up and talk to you if, if they wanted to talk to you and they, and they weren't going to for some reason. So it's really cool. I've met a lot of people, had a lot of conversations. Uh, it's really funny every time somebody's like, oh, you so I'm standing somewhere and they're like, oh, are you from here? Like, no, I travel. Like, oh, where, where, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, do you, you really want to know? Like, have you heard of like, <laughs> I, I to gauge the audience. Like, have you heard of blue light or blue light protection glass? All of a sudden, like everyone seems to have heard of blue light glasses. It's amazing everywhere you go. So it's not that hard. But um, anyway, so I'm just going to show you. I have this light meter. You might... I, just uh, let me know how you want, you know, if you have to, if you have to get going, but basically this is a blank spectrum. If I point this at my LED screen. I turned off my blue light blocking software. That's basically the spectrum of an LED, red, green, blue. If I showed you daylight uh, through a window, granted, it's much more of a full spectrum. Now this wow. is interesting. Get this. If I open this window right now, just note where that red and the near infrared goes past there, but you yeah. see it's still present. Now, if I open, if I just open this window, I'll give you one more. Um, this is really fun. I haven't done this in a while on a podcast live, but basically just opening this window, it's like a double layered European window. So just mental note of that. I hope this comes yeah. through well on the video. Yeah, yeah. I point this out. It's not that significant, but you'll see there's actually much more red and near infrared, relatively speaking, compared to when the window's shut. Like the, the, it, this is a relative scale, but the red and uh, near infrared went down. So I'm going to point it one more time through there, through the window, and you'll be able to see. I can see the shift like immediately. It's, it's, not, it's not major. I actually have to close it again for the effect to be as significant. That's the other thing. Courtney, okay, I should stop talking until I'm back at the mic. Um, so you just have to open the window. You don't have to have all your windows gone. Just open one and it actually helps. So that's, that's a key takeaway. I just love the way that you showed it too, because you were talking about the ratios of blue light to the red light. Like if you, like if you have lower of that and the blue light overtakes it and you don't equalize them out, then that's where you get the problem. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't even have to be equal necessarily. It's just like, well, look, so this is red. Look how much red there is. And then near infrared, it continues, even though this, this meter yeah. doesn't go into that range. So then look what the screen has. Not a lot of near infrared going on over there. Yeah. Not any actually. So anyway, it's a bit of an issue. Now, um, now if I were to show you, so if I were to show you, I'm going to start carrying around a clear lens. I'm going to go buy one down the street actually, because this isn't going to happen again that I don't have one to demonstrate. But basically, if I showed you a clear lens, they block all the light up to 420 nanometers. So you see where 430 is. Here's the issue. That spike doesn't even start until 430 and it's centered at 455. So if you have these clear lens blue light glasses that are blocking 100% up to 420, which is blue light, it's blue, indigo, mm -hmm. and ultraviolet as well. But uh, so people have to watch it. You have just, just have to go on YouTube if you're listening right now, you know, and, and like and subscribe to the Health Institute YouTube channel, obviously, nice as well. Plug. Um, but but um, yeah, seriously, because you're missing out. You can't see the spectrometer. But anyway, um, this is a really good demo. So anyway, up to 420, you're not blocking anything. So basically at all. So, so they, they literally like, it's crazy. It's like they're, I have like the box. I did a video. People can look up blue light glasses exposed on YouTube. That video should have way more views than it does right now. But anyway, um, it was like two years ago I filmed it. So maybe I was being a little bit, I was being a little bit of a harsh critic, but anyway, that blue light spike stays there. Now, if I take these yellow lenses and I put them right in front of this, the blue light 
it's completely gone. It just wow. goes. Away. But that's what that's why the lenses are yellow. Because when you have clear, it means all the colors are coming through one side that went. Yeah. Um, so when you have yet when you take out the blue, the yellow is the result of removing the blue, actually. So it's not like it's not like the other way around. It, it the two are are it is the effect. Um, and then you could you, someone could ask, well, why don't I just buy lenses with the yellow color? And and the, the question is, they have to be tested that they do in fact block the right spectrum. That would be the thing. But yeah, a yellow lens might block the blue light, but you just don't know if they're not being tested, which is why we test. Now, if you remember the spectrum, you still have the green and the the red from this LED. Now, if I put on the red lenses, these are our sunset lenses that you use after the sun goes down to protect your melatonin. It basically takes away all the green as well. Yeah, a little man, bit that's great. Color perception. But so these are basically like what I call the knock you on your ass, make you really tired glasses. So we have daylight and sunset. So daylight's more like balance your mood. So basically you put on daylight lenses, your eye muscles relax, actually. So I've had guys like maybe you've heard of Paul Check. He's like a legendary uh, physiology guy who, you know, he trained like even with people like Kobe Bryant and stuff and the, the Bulls coaching staff back in the day. Um, but anyway, he said that he had an issue with his neck. He told me one time, and he's like, I just put on your glasses and this whole thing fixed itself. And he's like, he knows all about all the connections. He's like, it just, it was because my eye muscles relaxed so much that this, this issue I was having in my neck just totally wow. out. So there's all these other physiological effects that, you know, Kairos and all these people would probably appreciate, even acupuncturists, as you mentioned. Anyway, so. The main effects of the yellow daylight lenses that we have are that people will feel their eyes and mind relax naturally, and then their mood will balance. And then when that happens, your energy, energy levels naturally begin to rise. And then you'll also, so you'll also eliminate eye strain, headaches, and fatigue first. That's the first thing. And then people will feel their mind and eyes relax and their mood balance and their energy levels basically start to rise. And then that means increased focus, productivity, and whatever success. That people want, you know, the sunset lenses are more like you start wearing them and then you're the annoying person at the party who basically falls asleep. But <laughs> I'm joking. But at the same time, like that's actually like people, people joke, but it's true. Like they'll wear the glasses and they're watching a movie and all their friends. Are like I had this all the time with my friends when I was in high school, I'd wear these glasses before I started making my own when I was like 16. And I would always be the guy. It's like 10 o'clock and I'm literally passing out on the couch. And they're like, dude, you're no fun. Like, wake up. Like, dude, it's Wait, I rhythm, bro. <laughs> We're going to do that to Courtney as a party joke. You know, like, yeah. hey, those are, that, that's my kind of party. That, those are my friends. That's how I know I'm in the right, right, the right <laughs> crowd of people. I'm like, if we all have our blue blockers on and we're, you know, doing our like adaptogens and going to sleep by 930, then <laughs> I'm signing yeah. up. If you think about it like the innate intelligence and organizational uh, ability of life and and nature in general it's really really powerful and if you look at like how many new diet books come out every year and yet people are still sick with a lot of the diseases like you know and then there's everyone claims that their diet cures cancer whether it's veganism or carnivore or something in between but uh you know there's a lot of people who don't have that effect and there, there seems to be some sort of something's missing some sort of inconsistency that's that's not fully understood and i do think it has a lot to do with the energy field and the energy body and uh not the woo woo stuff but the stuff that's been studied yeah totally i i want to make sure that our audience knows where to find resources and i think we should do a part 2 maybe we can even discuss like what some of what dr motley was bringing up with how the body responds to different light frequencies especially when we're looking at organ systems and systems that 
are deficient of energy, right? Like, because we even talk about emotional blockages and things like that that are associated with specific organs in the body. And I think light can have a really strong impact. I even know like when it, when it, the sun is out, I like crave being out in the sun during the day. Like I really, like my body physically like wants to be outside because it elevates my mood. Like I immediately feel I, even if, okay, here's cra- something crazy. Maybe you can tell me if this has, if there's any scientific, anything to support this, but if I am like hungry or feeling like, okay, well, I just ate a meal. Maybe my blood sugar is a little dysregulated. I don't know, but I'm just like, I'm kind of feeling like a little bit anxious, a little edgy. Maybe I want to eat something else. I don't know. If I go outside, like just getting some fresh air and getting in the sun for even like three minutes, it's like all of those hormones that are sending signals that like, Hey, something's out of balance. Maybe you need to eat. Maybe you're hungry. And I'm like, well, I just ate. I shouldn't be hungry. They almost immediately start to self-regulate. Like I, I can go from feeling like jittery to like, no, I'm a, I actually feel balanced now. Is that, is there anything to support that? Or is that, if I just, <laughs> if I, oh, my of own course. I mean, I'm, I'm yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. So the benefit of the light and the near infrared in particular, improving the mitochondrial function means that our energy metabolism will work better. So, you know, your body, if it wasn't fully, let's say kicked on, it will be on and burning through that fuel. Uh, the light regulates our body's circadian rhythm. So we talked about, you know, why it's important to protect from blue light during the day, but at night, uh, blue light disrupts our sleep. It disrupts the production of melatonin. And that's why we make the, the red lenses. That was actually the first uh, lens we developed was the sunset lenses to protect our melatonin. In the on the flip side, that light during the day is what's regulating and, and programming. We could say our hormones. You know, it's it's really interesting uh, when we start talking about the body as uh, electric and frequency based. With this understanding that effectively we are first an energy field, and matter is the slowest form of energy that our senses perceive. This is a quote actually from Dr. Joe Dispenza, uh, who, you know, I imagine you're familiar with in the, the meditation world, but basically it's true. It is. And so essentially the higher frequencies, the faster frequencies, light, other forms of energy, electricity are actually programming and forming and directing, let's say the, the slower frequencies, which is, which is matter. And matter, if you, if you look at it, it is mostly empty space. Most atoms are mostly empty space. Like we're, you know, an atom is 99.9 plus percent empty space. And that means we, we're composed of atoms. So we're mostly empty space. The only reason we can't put our, uh, our hand through a table is because of electromagnetic repulsion, but it's, it's because there's repulsion electromagnetically, not necessarily because there's some physical material. Um, so, you know, it, it's even been, it's even been found, you know, said by some of the, great physicists that basically, if you took one cubic centimeter of air, there's enough energy in that air to vaporize all of the oceans of the earth. And it's true. There's actually so much energy stored in matter. So like, that's how the atomic bomb works. It actually breaks apart matter. So it used to be thought that matter can't be created or destroyed, but it was disproved by Einstein with his E equals MC squared. It's that his, that E equals MC squared famous equation is the energy mass equivalence. So basically mass actually like matter, what we think is solid is actually not as solid as we think. It's just because our senses are programmed to perceive because if everything was always flowy, 
it might be great if you're an artist, but if you're like a human trying to survive in nature and you can't tell where the lion ends and where you begin, it's not exactly good for survival. When we understand this, that we are these uh, electromagnetic beings, it, it sort of changes the game uh, for health, for energy. So for example, I was thinking about the hormone melatonin, like what it means if, if we put it, you know, I, I want to say it a few different ways so that people get it, but basically this is a, so let's say my final shot at it is that what it means is that our, our hormones are different molecules and, and hormones in particular and neurotransmitters in our body are really like light messengers in many ways. So like melatonin is actually a messenger, a messenger of light. Uh, it doesn't, it isn't released until it's dark. So it's like the hormone of darkness, but it actually carries light energy and light information, which is stored during the daylight hours. So it's really interesting. It's actually really important that we get lots of bright daylight during the day. And then we combine that with the absence of light at night. And that's what makes really great sleep. But we need, like, if you just had darkness, you wouldn't sleep super well necessarily. If you get that bright light during the day, it's that contrast between the bright light and then the dark darkness that melatonin gets programmed by powerful light energy from full spectrum daylight. And then when the darkness comes and the light goes away, that melatonin comes out. And it's the most important anti-cancer, anti-aging, antioxidant molecule for all of life. It, melatonin is critical. And, and our lenses actually increase the body's natural production of melatonin. Uh, and we, we, we had a partnership with Aura, the maker of the Aura Ring last summer. Yeah. So we thousands and thousands of Aura uh, members getting our, uh, our glasses as a, as a free gift from Aura for referring a friend to purchase a ring. And we, I forgot that they were going to be receiving our review request emails. So we started getting all these reviews from people who were like, oh my gosh, like I didn't think anything was going to happen. I thought this was all hype. And then actually like my sleep scores increased significantly. My heart rate variability increased significantly. Like all these amazing measurable results are happening with the lenses. So it's really, really exciting to know, especially from that more skeptical community uh, who was just doing this because it was a promo gift that they're actually getting the results. I thought that was really, really exciting. We're going to have to do a, a second uh, second episode of this because like I said earlier, I think we've just scratched the surface and I know Dr. Motley would want to be, you know, he wants to be looped in on all of this. You guys could jam for sure um, with what he's doing in his practice, but any final thoughts or anything that you feel like, you know, is just encouraging for you right now to keep you super on mission for what you're doing that, you know, might just give our audience, our listeners, something to be excited about or to look, you know, maybe just to think about in a different way than they have before. A hundred percent. So since the finding that we're beings of light from a scientific perspective through, you know, as I outlined step-by-step, step, you know, one thing at a time, I, I explained earlier how I got to this light field and it wasn't like it came out of nowhere. It was piece by piece process years of, of challenges along the way, oftentimes, uh, and getting to, to the understanding about light. And I even continued to have a lot of, um, let's say, challenges of a different nature, questions about life and what, it, what life is all about and meaning. And, and that caused me a lot. I mean, I don't like to say it caused me more like I used that, these doubts and uncertainties to create a lot of, uh, let's say, worry in my mind. And so for years, even running my business and learning all this great information about light and physically being in a much better state than I had been previously, mentally, psychologically, which impacts our physiology, because the two people think the mind and the body, they're separate. But one of the interesting things 
of this, the implications of this finding is it's all just connected. So a friend of mine, and she has a Spanish podcast I just did yesterday. And uh, I actually did my first podcast ever in Spanish. It was so cool. But she calls it the 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 soul body the, or the body soul. So it's like we are kind of, it is one. Anyway, now the reason I share that is because I learned that psychological imbalance has such a profound impact on our physiology. And when you understand that we're beings of light, you could potentially say, and I look forward to more research being done on this, but you could, you could very potentially uh, say with a scientific basis that our consciousness is in some way light and energy, it's information and frequency, and that's organizing our body. So when we're in a state of stress or worry, and science is clear on this one, that stress basically kills us, we create a huge, a huge amount of issues. I've learned that when we practice like happiness, and it is kind of a practice, it can really change the game. So I've personally gotten really, really big into the practice of meditation and, mm -hmm. and using it as a tool to analyze, uh, let's say my own shortcomings and not shortcomings in a, in a judgmental bad way, but places where I'm, for example, choosing to be in fear and right, like even all the great religions. Now, I'm not sure if listeners are religious or not, whatever, people have their own inclinations, but I've gotten drawn to a lot of these, you know, religions and spiritual practices because there's so much truth in them. And one of the kind of, let's say, commandments or ideas is like, don't be afraid. Like that is one of the greatest uh, things we can do that's, that's like, let's say wrong, but it's not even that it's wrong for others. It hurts us more than anyone. So learning that we don't have to like live in fear and, and actually diving into that, it, it's, it's a different world. Cause I spent, as I mentioned earlier, so many years doing what I was doing from a place of, of fear. Like I need to do this to be healthy in the next biohack. It's like, what if we could all practice a little bit more wholeness? And I had a particular experience at one point that showed me that all I was looking for all this time was actually like wholeness, like feeling whole. And I actually believe that that is what actually heals people is feeling whole, like getting to a place where you can feel and be whole. So anyway, we, we have a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about, but that, that way the energy in our body and our field influences how our, how our body expresses itself and how, how we could even have certain illnesses, not just related to blue light at night, disrupting melatonin, but related to basically a toxic thought diet This is what I started calling it. So anyway, there's a lot more cool stuff to dive into when you understand that we are beings of light and there is science behind that. And what that means is that our, our thoughts have a much bigger impact and feelings have a much bigger impact on our health than we've been maybe aware of before. And, and the good news is that it means that we can all really change our lives in the way we want if we make the effort and not be in like this stressful struggle state. Cause you know, when you have the ability to travel and you're young and you gain this huge amount of freedom that I gained at like 18, 19, 20, I joke that I had a full midlife crisis when I was 20 years old. Cause I had all this freedom and nothing was making me feel the way I actually wanted to feel. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what is this? So anyway, that's my, my, what's inspiring me right now. And, and, uh, I think it's a cool subject for us to discuss next time. Oh yeah. I can appreciate that so much. We, we usually land somewhere in that, that space. I feel like with most of our guests, because, you know, if you're in the health space at all and you don't acknowledge the spiritual component, the mental component to your health, like, you know, you're really leaving so much out on the table that really ties it all together. Cause that, that is how we always view the body and it, it's, it's mind, body, spirit. And we're always going to fail ourselves. Like we are imperfect beings. And so there will always be shortcomings. 
And so you you talking about this fullness and and not feeling this fear or living in a fearful state, not being afraid, like those are huge hurdles for people. And I think we spend our lifetime like trying to figure out like how how we access something that's beyond ourselves because our bodies are not, we're not, we're living in an imperfect world. We're never going to be able to biohack our way to perfection. And it's never been about perfection, but I think that you're, you're just at, you're putting some beautiful language to what so many people are on their own personal journey to find and how that looks. And for you to lean into that, I think is just, it's incredible because you can see the fruit from your commitment to really moving forward, leaning into that mission and that calling. And and it's changing other people's lives. And those are the guests like we love bringing on. We would love to have you on again. And in the meantime, you know, I'm going to be over here shopping for (laughs) all the, all the blue light things. So if you have listened today and you've loved this episode, oh my goodness, you know, share the episode, like it, subscribe, check it out on YouTube because we, I love a good demonstration. And that was actually visually, if you're a visual learner, that will help you because you'll actually be able to see what he's talking about. And I'm glad that we addressed that. And you kind of took the time to walk us through that. So check this episode out on YouTube so you can actually get the full experience of this conversation. Um, make sure that you check out Matt, Matt online. He's on social, the light diet, and then also raw optics on, uh, on the web. So you can do all of your shopping. Make sure you take advantage of that discount too. Ancient health at checkout will get you 10% off. So I'm going to drop a bunch of things in the show notes for you guys. We're going to have all the books and stuff like that, but uh, we're going to do a part two. If Matt's up for it, I think we're, we're going we're to make it happen. I'm up for it. I'll be hounding you guys down to get this because I'm excited. I love this conversation. So thank yeah. you so much, Courtney. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, guys, we will see you on the next episode. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.